mornings, I'm Chris Oaks, and coming up today, Arlington has become the latest Hancock County village to participate in the Heart and Soul Development and Planning Program through the Community Foundation. We'll learn more. Also this morning, the back-to-school challenge no one is talking about. With inflation pushing many to their financial breaking point already, where does that leave families faced with paying for college? And Independence Day holds special meaning for all Americans, but to residents of Findlay's Hope House, July's Independence Campaign brings hope for a whole new level of freedom. This is the Good Mornings Podcast Edition for Wednesday, July 20th, 2022. World Jump Day today. Just because, I guess. Also, it is nap day. (laughs) After you're done jumping, you may need a nap. International Chess Day. National Fortune Cookie Day. National Lollipop Day. National Hot Dog Day. Now, wait a minute. This says National Hot Dog Day. And I, I don't know that that is accurate. Let me look that up because I think there's more to it than that. Hang on just one second. I want to make sure that I've got this right because I don't, I don't think National Hot Dog Day. Well, no, I guess it does say it's a Hot Dog Day. I thought it was like Hot Dog Throwing Day or something. It, but I guess it's just National Hot Dog Day. It says the uh, third Wednesday in July is always National Hot Dog Day. Okay. National Ugly Truck Contest Day. It is Space Exploration Day. And, of course, it is Moon Day, July 20th, uh, honoring astronaut Neil Armstrong, became the first man to walk on the surface of the moon. And I would imagine that it correlates with Space Exploration Day today as well. Probably the uh, reason that those two things are slotted for july 20th so reasons to celebrate today so um this was kind of interesting uh i saw on the uh, on the newswire a new survey of 2000 workers and they want to know now that more people are returning to the office post pandemic um people might not be that eager to resume wearing the traditional work clothes we've gotten so used to not having to dress up to go to work when we're just working at home sitting in our our pjs and our fuzzy slippers or whatever our comfy clothes and uh, apparently in some areas that is trickling down uh into the return to the office as well uh a lot of people would prefer a more casual look at work because they've gotten used to that. If I have to go back to the office, at least let me wear my comfy clothes. But there are some things that just aren't appropriate. Generally, it does seem that many employers have been willing to relax the traditional dress code post-pandemic. And this is kind of a compromise. You come back to the office. We'll relax the dress code, but there are still some things that just aren't appropriate. This new survey asked workers about what that would be. Where should that line be drawn? And it's uh, kind of interesting. Um, 
the top items that workers believe are inappropriate for men to wear at the office. Uh, ca- uh, gym shorts, <laughs> just casual shorts, uh, or any kind of gym gear, cycling gear, flip-flops, overalls, Crocs. I would have to say that guys, men, if you are wearing Crocs, I don't care what the uh, what the setting is. That's just wrong. <laughs> guys, ditch the Crocs. Just get rid of them. Uh, undershirts, uh, presumably just an undershirt. That would be inappropriate. Christmas Christmas sweaters. Um, tailored shorts. Kind of interesting. So apparently shorts, just not a good idea for, uh, not a good look for guys. Whether we're talking about casual shorts, gym shorts, cycling shorts, tailored shorts, doesn't matter. Shorts on the list. Sneakers, uh, t-shirts, uh, casual sweater, jeans are on the list as inappropriate for men to wear at the office. Um, a polo neck or a roll neck sweater or a V-neck sweater. Hmm. Boy, that doesn't leave a whole lot, does it? <laughs> that's, that's not too casual. If you eliminate all of those things, you're not left with anything uh, casual remaining, uh, I guess. Top, uh, top items that workers think are inappropriate for women to wear at the office. And again, gym gear, uh, bralettes, crop tops, crocs make that list as well, as do flip-flops, hot pants. <laughs> Probably not good for the office. Uh, for men or women, actually, now that we think about it. Hot pants, probably not good for either. Um, tube tops, casual shorts, overalls, again, on the list. Um, a, a play suit. All right. Mini dresses, mini skirts, skorts, and leggings. Uh, the top things that... Workers believe are inappropriate for women to wear in the uh, office. Forty uh, percent study finds that forty percent of workers have been spoken to by a manager or colleague about their work attire post pandemic. Twenty-one um, percent say they have even been sent home for wearing inappropriate clothing in the office. In other results, seventy-seven percent say they miss office attire when they work from home. They actually miss having to dress up. I mean, at first it was kind of nice. And we enjoyed the more relaxed work setting. But after a while, it is kind of nice to uh, get dressed or have a reason to get dressed. You know, uh, Let's see here. 38% believe that there should not be restrictions on attire at work. Believe there should not be. 57% think traditional office wear will be phased out of the workplace within the next five to ten years. We'll see. But again... If you look at that list of things that people think are inappropriate to wear for both men and women, doesn't leave a whole lot other than traditional office wear. So I'm not sure what well, the end result. It's kind of like it brings to mind the old saying Henry Ford with the, with the Model T. You can have it in any color you want as long as it's black. You know, it's, you can wear anything you want as long as it's traditional work attire at the office. <laughs> Anything you want, as long as it's traditional work attire. There's no problem. Uh, let's see. Uh, speaking of uh, post-pandemic related stories, this is kind of interesting. Research from uh, the group NWEA, which is a 
private nonprofit uh, student testing organization, NWEA. I don't know what it sounds it stands for, but uh, there's research from this educational student testing organization shows that kids are making academic gains similar to those seen pre-pandemic. In other words, students are catching up uh, after the pandemic just fine. Thank you. Now, overall, this is good news, but students in high poverty schools fell further behind during the lockdown and may need extra time to recover, they say. Initially, researchers anticipated that it would take three years for the average elementary school student to rebound from the impact of COVID-19, but uh, they are uh, their learning progress is coming along just fine. Thank you. So they're back pre-pandemic levels, which I thought was uh, kind of interesting. Uh, speaking of the uh, pandemic, doctors at Yale University say they have a patient from Connecticut that has had COVID-19 for 500 days. Now, Dr. Crispin Chaguza and his team say that they believe that their count is accurate and that the patient that they studied was found positive for 471 days specifically before they stopped testing. Dr. Shaguza says they stopped collecting samples because of the worsening condition of the patient, who they point out also has cancer. So it's not strictly that he is hospitalized or he's being monitored strictly for COVID-19. He's also got cancer. So an underlying condition there. But the uh, unidentified patient caught the COVID-19 virus in 2020. Uh, One member of the Yale team called it the longest chronic, one of the longest chronic infections ever documented and said we have not had a negative test yet from this individual. Once they tested positive, he's 500 days, nearly 500 days without a negative test. It's just lingering and lingering and lingering. Kind of crazy. Um, Medical story. Medical stories with a uh, local uh, twist or a regional twist here. If you heard about this, ProMedica is reaching out to nearly 1,200 patients this week with word that their personal information may have been compromised. But this is the twist to this story. It's not a data breach. It's not a hack attack. It was just a simple oopsies. ProMedica says that messages containing protected data were inadvertently sent to an incorrect email address back in late May. <laughs> what? <laughs> Some Somebody just sent this to the wrong email address. They had a typo in the uh, email address line. First of all, what are you, what are you doing emailing uh, personal information? I mean, email is inherently insecure to begin with. That's not how you should be sharing. And that way they say don't, don't email uh, important information like credit card numbers and things like that. Your social security number, you should never put that in an email because email is inherently insecure. So I'm wondering what in the world were they doing emailing personal information about patients in the first place? But uh, they say messages containing the data was inadvertently sent to an incorrect email address uh, back on May 27th. That's another reason why you don't ever email sensitive information, because if you make a typo in the email address, it just goes out there and you never know. 
uh, it goes out into the ether, into the uh, into the internet, uh, out into cyberspace. And there is no way to know if that information was actually viewed by a recipient. It's no idea. But they are warning that it could be possible. That's rather embarrassing. And um, lastly, among the first things you need to know this morning, I this I saw the other day, uh, this story, and I said this is a perfect example of the unintended consequences of governmental regulation. A woman in Charleston, South Carolina, decided to take matters into her own hands when her city's Board of Architectural Review rejected her demolition project. Here's the story. She wanted to demolish her 1930s home. She has a home built in the 30s, and uh, she wanted to knock it down and build a new home. But the city said no because they consider it a historic property, and they don't want to destroy historic property. So the city said no. You own it, but you can't just, you can't. We're going to tell you what you can and can't do with it. So uh, she decided to attach the house to a big old truck and hit the gas, (laughs) hoping to tear it down herself. She can hire somebody to do it. Uh, She's going to tear it down herself. She was caught in the act before she, she, she could complete the task, but she did get what she wanted in the end. The home was past the point of rehabilitation because the house was too far gone. City officials had no choice but to grant the demolition permit. Uh, as for the woman, she has to pay the maximum fine for her misdeed, which is about a thousand dollars. But here's the here's the thing: uh, the the city, and this is in Charleston, South Carolina, but other cities have uh, similar things. Uh, the city. Uh, has the quote unquote final say on whether uh, things can be torn down or, you know, and what they are saying is that uh, the rule is costing the town because people are now just letting their homes rot to, so they get to the point where they're beyond the point of repair. And uh, the city then has no choice to let them tear their house down. They call it demo by neglect. And eventually, they get to tear the houses down, but in the meantime, while the houses are just sitting there rotting, they're becoming eyesores, and so the city is actually ends up with the exact opposite of what they were trying to do, preserving the uh, historic charm of the city. The, the act opposite. But anyway, I, I saw that story as this perfect uh, example of uh, good intentions, but in reality, uh, in practice, something totally different than what they thought they were getting. So, Anyway, I just thought that was uh, kind of interesting. Some of the uh, most interesting and buzzworthy stories to get your Wednesday morning started. WFIN News, I'm Matt Demchek. Your WTOL 11 weather, plenty of sunshine expected again today with a high of 92. Showers and storms possible tonight, a low of 71. Some local police dogs played a big role in apprehending a burglary suspect. The Hancock County Sheriff's Office is a homeowner on Route 37 reported finding a person in their vehicle in their garage. The person fled the area on foot into a wooded area. K-9 Charlie of the Sheriff's Office and K-9 Deke of the Finley Police Department started searching the woods and quickly located the individual. He was taken into custody for burglary and transported to the Hancock County Jail.
City of Tiffin has its first female mayor. Tiffin City Council voted to make third ward council person Don Iannantono the next mayor for the city of 18,000. Former Mayor Aaron Montz resigned to take a new role as president of the Tiffin Seneca Economic Partnership. Members voted last week for at-large council member Zach Perkins to become the next mayor. He resigned from council the following day and announced he would not accept the mayoral nomination. Dave James, Owen in News. Ohio health officials are answering questions from parents about COVID vaccines in the weeks leading up to their new school year. All school-age children are eligible for the vaccine. We took those questions to Dr. Jane Snyder at Nationwide Children's Hospital. It's not surprising that the original vaccines that were matched to that original COVID-19 virus still work really well. And the important thing is they work well to keep kids from having to go to the hospital from getting really, really sick. It's a busy time of the year for family physicians with back-to-school checkups. Onan's Tracy Townsend reporting. Arlington will be the third community in Hancock County to implement the Community Heart and Soul process. Brian Treese, president and CEO of the Finley-Hancock County Community Foundation, says there's something really special about small towns, especially the ones in Hancock County. There are amazing people in those communities that care so much. He says Community Heart and Soul is a process that engages the entire population of a town in identifying what they love most about their community, what future they want for it, and how to achieve it. Remember, you can always get more news online anytime at WFIN.com. Matt Demchek for 1330 WFIN and 95.5 FM. So our cover story this morning, as you might have heard, Arlington has now become the latest Hancock County village to participate in the Heart and Soul Development and Planning Program through the Community Foundation of Finley and Hancock County. Joining us this morning to talk about what that means and uh, what the uh, village of Arlington hopes to get out of this uh, program, Cassie Turner is with us from the uh, Community Foundation, Community Engagement Officer for the uh, Community Foundation. You seem very, uh, very familiar to it. It's been a, a little while since we've uh, had it. It has, and I was getting ready for you to. Th- I thought you were going to say 4-H educator there for a second, Chris. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, just engaging the community in a different way. Uh, yes, now and that's the, the beautiful thing about the Community Foundation is we're able to serve <laughs> on a wider basis. Uh, also uh, joining us this morning is Lauren Etler with the uh, Arlington uh, Heart and Soul uh, Committee. And uh, uh, Lauren, thank you very much yes, for uh, thanks, dropping Chris. by. Thanks for having First me. First of all, uh, Cassie, we'll start with you. Talk a little bit about for those who aren't familiar what the heart and soul program is and what it hopes to accomplish sure so heart and soul is a nationwide program Mm -hmm. Um, there's over a hundred different communities throughout the u.s that are participating in it it's based out of um, vermont um, with the orton foundation and what it works to do is really just finding what makes community special and developing community pride um, or expanding community pride mm-hmm. by finding out what really matters to folks, um, engaging everyone in these conversations, and then playing the long game that um, what's put into place is is put into place and used. Yeah, and then that's a really cool different way to think about these it. are the types of uh, long-term strategic planning that often uh, are done uh, in the metropolitan cities and bigger cities this uh is a different i mean it is, it's, it's, it's the same only different it's when the you same but it. it's also it's working with the, it's it's very much working a coach working with the community it's mm-hmm. not somebody coming in and doing something to a community um the community committee is going to be taking the lead on this um, the foundation is here to support and walk alongside so that's another different spin on this too 
And uh, as we said, Arlington would be the third community to participate in this Macomb uh, and Mount Blanchard previously. And uh, Lauren, what does the village of Arlington hope to uh, get out of this uh, of this program? Kind of walk through the the mindset of why you wanted to be involved in the Heart and Soul uh, program. Sure. We have seen um, what the Community Foundation has done and the Orton Foundation for Macomb and Mount Blanchard. Mm -hmm. Uh, And we really wanted to be a part of that. Our village um, is a place that so many wonderful people call home. and we felt at this time there was a lot of growth happening. There's some new innovative things happening in the village of Arlington. Mm-hmm. And we just really felt like it was a perfect time uh, to marry this together with heart and soul. And we really just want to build uh, our community pride, what's there, bolster it, get, like Cassie said, get everyone involved uh, and just really have the opportunity to grow um, to the next level as a village. So kind of give us the timeline of what you are hoping to do uh, as part of this uh, of this program. Kind of lay this out for us. There are four phases uh, that go with heart and soul. Um, you're going to put me on the spot. I can't name every single one right now. So right now we're in the imagine phase. Um, we're getting ready to kind of just think about what we can do. Then we'll go into a planning phase or a collecting phase, um, you know, gathering all that information planning from the effort from what everybody's saying that's important to them consolidating that into to strategic mm-hmm. um, objectives and then developing a plan and then what that action looks like so those are kind of the four steps but basically over a two-year process so um and then and then how do we create the synergy and um in working together to make sure that goes on in stewardship let me uh be a little more specific in terms of you know you in that uh dreaming phase i I forget the yeah, words Is yeah that, uh, right we're now in the magic in the imagining mm-hmm. imagining phase uh so as you said lauren everyone hopefully everyone will get the opportunity mm-hmm. to you know imagine with you how then how do people do that i mean what's the you know if i'm if i'm in arling to say hey you know i'd like to you know imagine and let you know what i'm thinking how do they do that? Sure. So we will have um, some more things set in place. We will have um, a a person that is kind of the connector, the main, mm-hmm. you know, the the main point of contact yeah. for uh, the heart and soul committee. We will have someone that will be appointed to that position. Uh, we actually get to kick off and celebrate with the community at our Arlington Village Festival. It's a perfect which, time to do that. Yes, which is the twenty <laughs> this weekend, the twenty second and twenty mm-hmm. third. So we will have a booth there. Uh, one of the main highlights of our booth will have a large old school chalkboard, and uh, there'll be a question on it, and um, people get to write Mm -hmm. their thoughts so it really is just trying to get everyone involved so we are meeting smallly right now and we will continually get larger with our that was actually uh what i was going to ask will this be done you know through like written surveys or through uh group meetings that it sounds like maybe a little bit of all of the above it will it will be a mix and that's the nice thing about hard souls we try and figure out ways that we can come to you so um, you know, sometimes if that you if you're sitting across the room and there's a bucket all the way and somebody asks you to throw that piece of trash in there and you can't move, that's a little hard. But if somebody picks up the bucket and brings it down towards mm-hmm. you, 
makes it a little easier task. Right. So thinking about different ways that we can collect, um, you know, the short stories or that warm, fuzzy moment, but then also um, thinking about, okay, and digging deeper. So there might be opportunities for intergenerational interviews where mm-hmm. we'll work with the, our teens and our, um, you know, and Good Sam's is just a, such a great opportunity out there too, to really engage that whole gamut of what makes Arlington special. Now, I remember when this program was first launched with Macomb. And then again, when we talked about it uh, with respect to uh, Mount Blanchard, when they participated. So uh, I'll ask uh, you, and actually for both of you, I think uh, this is an appropriate question. Um, looking long term, then, how, as you said, this is a two year program. How do you know what, uh, how do you gauge the success? I mean, where do you hope to be in the, uh, at the end of this uh, two year program? How do you know how successful it was? I really think that it will show. So it's, we, I think maybe you have said, Cassie, that we're not building like a tangible project. It's building a community. Mm-hmm. So I really think that honestly, the long-term goal is bringing everyone together and being able to pick out, um, you know, whether it's through social media, whether it's through a mailer, different ways to truly get everyone involved. So whether it's through Arlington School, whether it's through Good CM, just trying to pick and choose all of those different ways to make those communications stronger uh, with all individuals of our community. And then through all of that process, we will be able to, I think, determine uh, maybe the top. At what matters most, yeah, right? What, what are the, the big things that the community wants to tackle as a, as a whole entity? And then who wants to get involved with that? So the great thing about this is that it's a partnership not only with the foundation, but the Village of Arlington's leadership, the, the, the volunteer group that's came together to do this. And now as we expand to the whole opportunity. So things that we've seen in past communities, though, is it really sets them up to um, – to, to understand what their community needs are and mm-hmm. then be able to talk about that to other funders to write grants and to receive dollars to help um, generate it and work through or move forward with creating, those ideas. Creating the vision and create a, and a the vision and the path there. and yeah, then understanding right. the path and the passion of the community. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, Lauren, as you mentioned, a uh, great opportunity for folks to learn more and begin to get involved at the uh, Village Festival this weekend. Yes, that is correct. We will uh, be there during peak hours. I've Every evening, four to eight, four to nine, uh, we'll have the booth up by the circle behind the pool by the food okay. new food building will be up there you'll see our chalkboard you won't miss it so <laughs> we encourage uh, everyone to come up and talk with us and learn a little bit more about heart and soul exciting times mm-hmm. for the uh, village of arlington uh, the uh, third uh, hancock county village to participate in the heart and soul development and planning program through the community foundation again cassie turner uh, community engagement officer for the community foundation and lauren etler from the uh, arlington heart and soul committee thanks very much for dropping by we Thank appreciate you, it Chris. Well, over the past week or so, we have jumped in with both feet on the back-to-school theme. And as we were mentioning the other day, it's not just K-12 through kids. College students are getting ready to head back to class, too. In many cases, probably even before their younger counterparts. Now, of course, the cost of higher education is always an issue, and with inflation already pushing family budgets to the breaking point, we are joined by Brian Walsh, Manager of Financial Planning and Student Loan Expert at SoFi. And Brian, obviously, you are in the lending business, including student loans, of course. But just the same, your first piece of advice for families, especially right now, is to think long and hard about the impact of going into debt in order to finance either your own or your child's education. 
Exactly. And, you know, really the team that I lead, we work with a lot of families and individuals after they went through college and they're paying back their student loans. So when we work with people on the front end of things, we really want to figure out how do we minimize the amount that we borrow and do it as intelligently as possible. So we set ourselves up in a good position rather than putting us in a in a tough spot. We, we mentioned, of course, that right now it's even more of a challenge for many families because of uh, inflation. And at what point, I wonder, uh, does inflation start to impact those education decisions? I mean, with costs going up at a rate that we haven't seen in 40 years, is that going to have a direct effect on student enrollment, do you think? You know, I, I think whether or not it has an impact on uh, student enrollment, only time will tell. I, I will say that people are certainly feeling it already when it comes to college planning because, yes, you have the big ticket items like tuition and room and board, but a lot of the expenses that we help kind of plan ahead for, they're going to vary with inflation. So yeah. food, getting around, those books, all those things. So most of the work that we're doing is figuring out how do we set this budget maximize our financial aid package and then whatever the gap is then we we figure out the the type of loan that's best to fill that gap with respect to that you also caution parents against putting retirement savings on hold in order to pay for college and i can hear a lot of people ask why that's such a big deal right now when the market is kind of floundering and perhaps the economy is teetering on the edge of recession yeah this is one where as a parent it's kind of a tough spot because you want to provide everything you can, but it's important to keep in mind there's no student loan equivalent for your own retirement. So we'll work with parents to figure out, okay, without anything with college, any expenses, is your retirement on track? And then seeing if you can handle maybe some loan payments or maybe taking money out of your retirement accounts. And it's best to figure that out before you do it because the options down the road, if you kind of tap into your own retirement, are really, really kind of substantial as opposed to, let's say, your son or your daughter taking out some additional student loans. Uh, it's not helped by the fact that uh, in many cases, and I don't want to get too deep into like the tax implications and so on, but you know, there are, uh, I guess, some incentives uh, in terms of maybe not as big of a tax bite if you withdraw from a retirement uh, account, certain retirement accounts to pay for education. They make it rather enticing to do that, even though it may not necessarily be the best idea for you long term. Yeah. And, and, you know, that's a, that's a good point. I'm not saying that it's never a good idea to tap into retirement accounts because let's say you have more saved than what you need to, then that could be a a decent source to kind of tap into, Mm -hmm. um, to, to fund retirement. But a lot of people that we interact with aren't in that position. Right. Uh, so maybe we look at, okay, maybe parent student loans, maybe co-signing student loans in the, in the child's name way before we actually look into actually using assets, especially in a bear market right now. Uh, And not a whole lot of people are fortunate enough to be in that situation. Unfortunately, they have more than they need for retirement, but point well taken. And you also caution, uh, this may be surprising, but uh, deferring student loan payments may not always be the best option for for many people. Explain, because uh, again, for a lot of uh, students, for a lot of families, they think this is kind of the best way and, and usually the default option. Yeah, it, it really is typically going to be kind of the default. And and the reason for that is some student loans uh, don't accrue interest while you're in college, but most of them actually do. So 
let's say you borrow a thousand dollars, you know, when you go to actually pay that back in four, five, six years, if interest is accruing along the way, you're going to pay back more than a thousand dollars when you start making those payments. So you might just look and say, okay, can I afford a small payment and maybe covering the interest? So that way, again, just reducing that amount of interest that Mm. we're paying back every little bit can end up making a, a pretty decent impact. A couple of other tips for students. First off, taking full advantage of work-study opportunities if they are available as part of your financial aid package in order to minimize the amount that you have to borrow. Work-study ends up being one of those things in a financial aid package where it looks great when you get it, but then you realize, okay, <laughs> I have to work in order to get this funding. And when you you layer in classes, extracurriculars, and let's face it, just living your life, that can be tough. So we want to figure out, okay, how do we, how much do we need to work? What type of jobs are available? And how do we fit this into our schedule before kind of layering all those things on top? Because it really is a way to just reduce the amount that you're borrowing all throughout your education. And the other tip for uh, students, and you kind of touched on this a little bit earlier, recognizing that this is kind of a real-life lesson in budgeting, especially accounting for all of those other ancillary costs that people don't often consider, like travel uh, and housing if it's not in the dorm, and your laptop and your books and so on. If you don't plan and budget for those things, they can end up becoming, say, credit card debt, which only compounds the issue. Yeah, they really can. And what we see is if people don't plan ahead for these expenses, then yes, you're right. They could turn into credit card debt or it can even turn into taking out extra money that you really don't need to take out for student loans to have a little bit of a cushion. So by kind of planning ahead and saying, okay, here's what I'm going to spend and when we can build up a cushion working throughout the summer, we could take out the right amount of student loans and really kind of match that up rather than just winging it. So the long and short of it is that right now, families, uh, parents, and their college-age students should be sitting down and discussing all of these things and planning for the big picture, uh, both now and you know on down the line. Do you have uh, more information, and what we've kind of scratched the surface with some of those uh, things that, that students and their families should be thinking about? Uh, Where do we get more information, more advice on uh, how to navigate all of this, especially right now when there are so many concerns about the cost of everything? Yeah, you can go to SoFi.com or you can download the SoFi app and there's tons of great educational resources. There's a way to schedule appointments with financial planners, things like that to really kind of hash out all this stuff uh, over the next month or two before school gets started. Brian Walsh, again, Manager of Financial Planning and Student Loan Expert at SoFi with us. Brian, thanks very much for taking the time. We appreciate it. Thanks so much for having me. We interrupt this program to bring you a broken news alert. Today's update on the odd and unusual side of the news brought to you as a public service, more or less, of Hancock County Veterans Services. New York City, a uh, NYPD Police officer gave chase on horseback after an alleged thief in Times Square uh, took off. Um, Suspect wanted for taking seven pairs of sunglasses from a uh, local bodega there. And uh, (laughs) he took off out of the uh, out of the shop. New York City police uh, horseback officer spotted him and giddy up. That must have been quite a scene. 
<laughs> with the with the uh, suspect running from the cop on horseback. There's a flashback to the 19th century. Ignacio Lewis, age 34, was quickly apprehended by the two-legged officers who uh, responded to assist. <laughs> I just thought that was kind of uh, cool. Of all of the places in New York City, you would think, I mean, I know they have uh, cops on horseback in in New York City, but you would think that would be something you'd see in the wild, wild west more than the big city. But anyway, uh, here's another item um, from Massachusetts. Um, this is from uh, the uh, Boston area. 22-year-old uh, Wakel Steele, now behind bars because he picked he picked on the wrong bus driver. Uh, Mr. Steele, you see, was very upset about how slowly his uh, transit authority bus was going, so he decided to take it up with the driver. Hey, pick it up a little bit. Speed up. Mr. Steele, who lives in Somerville, Massachusetts, indicated that he wanted to get off in the next stop and proceeded to berate the driver for driving too slowly. And he used a couple of choice words that the uh, driver took exception to. Uh, Mr. Steele then demanded a refund, and he wasn't done there. He picked up a five-pound piece of wood that the driver uses to keep the tires from uh, from rolling, you know, wood uh, chalk, and uh, took an aggressive stance against the driver while holding this five-pound piece of wood. This, according to police reports, his second demand for a refund did not go anywhere because the driver got up and walked off the bus. <laughs> can't threaten me i just get up and leave the driver hollered at police to come and take care of the problem uh take the uh, rider off his hands officers grabbed mr Steele as he was stalking away down central street but not before the angry man tried to fight officers and told them to take off their duty belts the suspect was booked at the transit police department headquarters and has been charged with assault by means of a dangerous weapon all because the bus driver was going too slow. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> this is uh, one of those crazy stories that, uh, and it's out of Florida, no less. But one of those uh, crazy stories that try to explain this uh, to your boss why you're late in the morning. Um, Central Florida, the scene of a near catastrophe when a herd of loose cows lumbered onto the highway and created an utter mess. Yes, the pun was intended. Utter mess. Um, This is the uh, report. A tractor trailer carrying the cattle caught fire as it was traveling northbound on the Florida Turnpike to save the animals from burning up or from smoke inhalation, something like that. To save the animals, the driver pulled over and and let them loose, creating a stampede there on the highway. A bunch of bovines flooded the interstate, snarling the Monday morning commute on the turnpike. Police and firefighters both responded and put out the fire that was engulfing the truck. Uh, Police also were called upon to herd the dozens of cows back to safety. Uh, The highway ended up being shut down for several hours. Neither the driver nor the dozens of cows were injured. The cause of the truck fire remains under investigation. Can you imagine again having to explain that to your boss? Honestly, there was a stampede of cows on the turnpike. That was 
I'm not kidding. <clears throat> yeah, sure. <laughs> sure there were. <clears throat> From the international file, the broken news offices in Japan. This is a crazy idea. Offices in Japan are installing furniture items that they are calling nap boxes. Nap boxes. The whole idea is for staff members to catch a few uh, catch a few winks of shut eye while standing up. These nap boxes are designed for workers who are office workers in Japan known for putting in exhaustingly long hours. And every now and then they, they need a nap. And uh, they look kind of like water heaters, uh, actually. You step inside and they support... Uh, a person's head, knees, and backside so that you don't fall over while you're asleep. <laughs> why Why they don't just put in, you know, bunks or cots or something like that? I did. Apparently this is uh, more space efficient, I suppose. <laughs> we'll let you take a nap, but you can't lay down. You got to stay upright. So. And finally, in the uh, broken news, just weird stories. Uh, a man in Antioch, California, uh, got his life turned upside down back in February when he met an attractive woman on the Internet. One long, Kevin Sam says, before things began heating up, and then she convinced him to start investing in cryptocurrency. You know where this is going, right? The woman said uh, she had an investment opportunity and told Kevin... Open your wallet and enter the mining pool, the cryptocurrency mining pool. So he did. Things started off great. His initial investment of $2,000 was raking in big returns. So he invested more and more and more. At $50,000, I was making 1000 bucks a day, he said. He even borrowed a hundred grand from his family to chase the high of seeing his money grow. And then when he went to withdraw his profits after sinking in more than $380,000, he could have bought himself a brand new Rolls Royce. After sinking in more than $380,000, things came to a crashing halt. The uh, company, and I use that term loosely, barred him from withdrawing the funds and told him in early March, you are participating in a seven-day $100,000 gift on the mining pool, you cannot withdraw during the pledge period. After still being able to, uh, after still being unable to withdraw his money weeks later, he went to the FBI to complain. The investigation is ongoing. Um, data researchers say Sam may have been scammed. <laughs> you think? May have been scammed. Um, and while Sam appears to be out. A good chunk of cash, he still has his lady friend. Yes, believe it or not. Uh, Kevin says she was very kind, and still to this day, she's kind of empathetic. <laughs> By the way, it should be noted that uh, despite meeting back in February, they still have yet to uh, meet up in person. I think he's being scammed. You want to tell him? You want to tell him or should I? That's 
some people never learn. Oh, she's wonderful. She's still uh, she's very empathetic. I'm sure she is. There you go. Uh, that is today's broken news report. This update on uh, the uh, odd and unusual side of the news brought to you as a public service, more or less. Of Hancock County Veterans Services, we now return you to your regularly scheduled programming. August 2nd is primary election day in Ohio. This is WFIN News Director Matt Demchek. Join WFIN on Wednesday afternoon at 5 for a candidate forum featuring the two Democrat hopefuls for the 83rd House District seat. You'll hear from Melissa Kritzel and Claire Osborne as they make their case to be state representative. Listen to what the candidates have to say in the forum Wednesday afternoon at 5 on 1330 WFIN, WFIN.com and 95.5 FM. Time now for your daily download, the numbers behind the news and the statistics that shape our lives. Uh, According to a new survey uh, by Internations, it is a networking organization for expatriates, uh, people who move from their native countries to another country to pursue business or job opportunities or maybe just to you know, reinvent themselves or whatever, all kinds of reasons why people would move from their native land someplace else. And uh, the worst place to move uh, for immigrants, the worst country to move to uh, for immigrants, actually second worst is New Zealand. I thought this was really interesting in this uh, survey Um, Nearly 12,000 respondents from 177 different nationalities living in 181 countries around the world were asked about their experience moving from one country to another. Uh, They're asked about how their new homes, uh, what their new homes were like uh, with respect to quality of life, cost of living, safety, financial outlook, bureaucracy and ease of fitting in. And in the resulting ranking of 52 countries. Um, New Zealand was 51st, uh, exceeded only by Kuwait. (laughs) I don't think anyone's thinking about moving to Kuwait, you know, uh, as to get a fresh start. That's not one of the places that you would, uh, you would think Kuwait was dead last, but New Zealand was actually 51st on that list. Um, and the main purpose, the main reason why New Zealand, uh, ranked so low 49% of the respondents said that their disposable household income was not enough to lead a comfortable life. And in the context of health and well-being measures, uh, New Zealand is ranked negatively by 75% of respondents compared with 35% globally. In other words, New Zealand ranked below global averages for respondents feeling fairly paid for their work, seeing a purpose in their work and liking their working hours and their working conditions. So you move in into the country with uh, high hopes, and you think New Zealand is a great, great place uh, and all of that, but not so good for immigrants. The most preferred nation for immigrants, surprisingly, Mexico, ranked at the top, scoring high in terms of personal finance and the ease of settling in. Mexico, number one. Indonesia, Taiwan, Portugal, and Spain round out the top five nations best nations for immigrants the usa by the way was ranked 34th again out of a total of 52 countries so right smack dab in the middle make of that what you will the usa 34th 
in the world for immigrants. On the month of July, we, of course, celebrate Independence Day, which holds a very special meaning for all Americans, to be sure. But for Residence Findlay's Hope House, July's Independence Campaign brings hope for a whole new level of freedom. And Lori Poland is here from uh, Hope House uh, with us this morning to talk more about the uh, independence campaign. I love this uh, because, I, again, we talk about independence and freedom and uh, all of that in the context of what you do in helping those who uh, are uh, insecure in their housing or outright homeless. Mm-hmm. Uh, takes on a whole different meaning, those terms, uh, whole different definitions. Right. You know, um, Hope House serves people that are homeless or in imminent danger of being homeless. Mm -hmm. So um, what we talk about a lot internally and also with our clients is moving from that place of instability back to that place of independence. So you're right. Um, It just makes sense that uh, we would run a campaign called the Independence Campaign because that is our goal for all of our the people, all of our clients, all of the people that we serve, um, we are hoping to steward them back to a place where they can have a place of their own. And I guess uh, in a philosophical sense, uh, when we talk about uh, tying into the Independence Day holiday and, and all of that, I mean, what could be more basic than that? I mean, if you think about what America is supposed to be, right. and uh, we talk about the greatest country on earth, we can only be that if everybody has some place to call home. Right. So, Think about you're coming home from work and you're coming home to your car mm-hmm. or you're coming home to a tent or yeah. you're coming home to a shelter that you're sharing with other people that you really don't know very well. Mm-hmm. Um, think about going to school and you're coming home from school and you're in a room with a lot of other kids you don't know or you're staying at the shelter with your mom, um, which is a great place to have a roof over your head. You have heat, you have cool in this summer, mm-hmm. but um, you don't really have a lot of places that you can call your own. Yeah. So when you take that barrier away and you give someone a, a stable place to live again, a lot of those things can change. Kids do better in school. Adults do better at work. There's more a chance that you're going to be promoted at work because you're going to be more focused on what you're doing instead of worrying, where where's my family going to sleep tonight? Where's, yeah. where's our supper coming from? Yeah. Um, it's just that trickle-down effect of having a safe and stable place to live impacts every aspect of you and your family's Talk life. Talk about breaking that cycle. Correct. Uh, this is uh, definitely a, a way to... And, and there are still some misperceptions about uh, who finds themselves in these situations. It can be and has been and will be in the future literally anyone. You are correct. You know, when people ask me, well, how do people come to you? How do people become homeless? There is a list of a thousand reasons. Sometimes it's through a divorce. Sometimes it's through a death. Sometimes it's through a job loss. Yes, sometimes it's I made a few bad decisions and that, you know, everything just rolled downhill to to into Mm -hmm. something I couldn't control. But, um, you know, over 70% of the people that we assist have some form of income. You know, there's this big... Uh, there's this thought that, well, if you're homeless, you don't have any income. You're not making any money. You're not working. Mm-hmm. You know, we have a lot of clients who are working, but they just can't get back on their feet to that point where they just need a little bit of help. Um, you know, we had a man come in and he was working and he said, you know, I just need a little help. Just one month. If you just help me, um, I will be able to get my own place and get back on my feet. And literally we helped him for one month. And yeah. after that, he came back and he said, I'm, I'm good. I just couldn't get enough money to get that deposit and get that first month's rent last month's rent 
I just need a little help. Yeah, during the uh, course of the independence campaign, I know you are uh, sharing some of those uh, stories of yeah. individuals uh, who have come through Hope House and mm-hmm. have done amazing things. Right. Our independence campaign really focuses a lot on our rental assistance programs, our ABLE program, which is long-term uh, stability for folks that have a disability or have someone in their home with a disability. Also, what we call our independence programs, rapid rehousing and homeless prevention, which are people that may be couch surfing or they're living somewhere where you're not really supposed to live. Mm-hmm. But um, I had a lady reach out to me and she said, I would really like to share my story with you. And so her name is Miss Daisy and she um, lived in room six and she was there when her children were little. And um, she had left an abusive relationship and come to Hope House um, we are not a domestic violence shelter, but she was in a place of stability, and, and she did qualify for um, for Hope House, uh, the Hope House shelter. And um, the lessons that she learned there uh, have really impacted her life on a, an amazing basis, and she wanted us to know that. Her children are now adults. Um, she, at one point, was going to go back to her, her husband, and her case manager sat down with her and said, let's let's talk this over. What's going to happen if you do that? And so she ended up staying at the shelter. Her kids are adults now and they are thriving, but she, every time she changed jobs or she um, moved to another place, she kept improving her life situation. And she said, it's the lessons that she learned along with her case manager at Hope House. It completely impacted her life. And she said, what she wanted me to know that is that we completely changed the course of her life. And she was in a family that had a history of some addiction problems, of uh, poverty. And she said, I have broken that cycle. And now my children have not succumbed to that cycle. Mm. And she said, I just can't tell you what that means to me. And so um, I... Miss Daisy really touched my heart because yeah. she, you know, she doesn't have to come back, you know, 15 years later and say, you, you guys really made a difference. She could just, um, just mm-hmm. be thankful sure. in her own heart. But yeah. she really thought it was important that we knew that we completely changed her life and the life of her children. When you say we, mm-hmm. that is more than just the individuals at Hope House. And mm-hmm. this kind of cycles back to the independence campaign. Mm-hmm. We, in the context of the entire community, because Correct. you couldn't do what you do were it not for the help of the community. You're right. That That is so true, Chris. Um, we do rely on the kindness of our community, and our community is... Um, like no other that I know. We are very collaborative. We work with other organizations so that we can give our best to our clients. Um, I would name them, but I know I would leave somebody out because there are so many. Um, but also, Well, as an example, mm-hmm. uh, in Ms. Daisy's uh, story, mm-hmm. uh, domestic violence uh, mm-hmm. situation, you're not a domestic violence shelter, but I'm sure that you work very closely we, with We absolutely do. We work with Open and, Arms yeah. when um, ladies are finished at their program mm-hmm. um, and they have kind of graduated to a place of safety then. Yeah, There's we a work prime with example of absolutely uh, who becomes homeless mm-hmm. and how welcome that to a new life yeah. um they're helping ladies another, getting out of um, perfect but again we are making sure that our house is as safe as it can be because mm-hmm. it does house up to nine individuals and perhaps their children and so you have nine very distinct po- um, personalities and we want to make sure yeah. that goes as smoothly as possible the other thing that we can do is we also have ladies who are ready to leave the shelter who move into one of our rental assistance programs they're ready to be out on their own but they're not quite financially on their feet enough to make that leap so we can help make that transition for them as well that is a, mm-hmm. a good point too a very important part of, of what you do is is not just okay here's you know we found found you a home or we've given you a place to stay uh until you find uh, someplace but then making sure that they're able to 
stay in that home mm-hmm. and to move forward and again one step at a time uh, rebuilding those lives and, and yeah, so on absolutely over 80 so, percent of the folks who successfully ex- exit our programs are stably housed a year later but a lot of that is due to the case managers you know working alongside them instead of shoving them number. out the door you yeah know? <laughs> that's a pretty impressive number so how does the community help uh with things like the independence campaign so obviously we will take we love financial donations um though that is the crux of what uh, makes us run uh we um we have a very generous community, and they have been um, very supportive of our 31-year mission of serving the homeless in Hancock County. We also rely a lot on volunteers, so we actually have a group from Cedar Creek coming on sa- Saturday, a group of ladies who are going to do some work at the shelter. Um, we've had groups that do uh, all kinds of things for our clients, um, providing staples, things like toilet paper, Kleenex, uh, personal hygiene, um, things like that. Those are the things, if we can give those to our clients, then they can use their precious resources to put toward utilities, rent, um, you know, shoes for their children, that mm-hmm. sort of thing. So yeah. those kind of staple items are also uh, donations that we really appreciate because the more that we can help our clients um, use their precious resources for their um, basic needs, the more that we can move them forward in that cycle to to break that cycle of poverty and homelessness. As we mentioned, it really uh, makes you think uh, about uh, the words independence and freedom in an entirely new way. Uh, The Independence Campaign in the month of July, Finley's Hope House, we have a link up at our webpage for more information on how you can help uh, those who very much need it within the community. Again, Lori Poland with Hope House uh, with us this morning. Lori, thanks very much for dropping by. We appreciate it. Thank you so much, Chris. And that will finish up our podcast for today. Thanks to all of our guests for joining us on the program this morning. And remember, you can get more information about all of the topics that we talk about each day on the show at our webpage, of course, and that is goodmornings.net. Coming up tomorrow on the program, remembering our friend, colleague, and community icon, Dick Doherty, on what would have been his 100th birthday. So until tomorrow morning, that is Good Mornings for this morning. Now that you've had a good morning, go on out and make it a good day. Catch you back here tomorrow.